Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Um, this is Raja again uh, from Melbourne, and this is podcast number four. And in this podcast, I'll talk a little bit about where you can potentially put your 20% savings or pay yourself money, that I call it. Where do you put that money um, and what do you do with it? Um, that's going to be in this episode. But um, before I get started, I thought I might recap on some of the topics of the previous three podcasts. Uh, in the first podcast, I talk about the power of automation, um, the power of compounding, and the concept of paying yourself first, and I use the 20% rule um, as the savings rate. You can be higher or lower depending on your financial position and where you are in your life. The second podcast, we talk a little bit about the uh, tips and tricks uh, for a mortgage, um, and whether that be whether you have a current mortgage or whether you're going to go and buy another mortgage or buy another home and get another mortgage. The third podcast is um, a bit of a lighthearted chat about some of the financial personalities that I pay attention to and some of the online podcasts and YouTube series that I listen to um, and I go through step by step of some of the people that I really find intriguing and how they go about their advice um, in the space of personal finance. So um, I guess what you've sort of saved your 20%, you've paid yourself first, um, so what do you do with that money? Uh, look, there are a number of options, which I'll briefly go through today. Um, obviously, the first option is putting it in a savings account and having a purpose for that account. Uh, that purpose might be saving for a property, uh, which is really the Australian dream. It's getting harder and harder for younger people these days, particularly in metropolises um, like Sydney and Melbourne, but it can be done and it really depends on where you want to live and how much and how quickly you can save. So if you even pay yourself 30 to 50% of your net income, then it becomes a powerful approach to saving for a deposit for your first home, banking it in a high interest savings account, um, and uh, you know remembering that you might have to pay uh, a tax on any of the interest um, that you gain from that savings account. But it's relatively a safe strategy. Basically, you take the money, automate it, and put it into an online savings account, which gives you a you know a reasonably high rate of um, interest, um, and that way it's relatively safe, and you're not playing with that money and not potentially losing that money um, as a result of taking any risks associated with investing that money. Um, the second option that you may want to try with the 20% um, is something called bonds. Now, bonds are basically a way for an entity to borrow some money. Um, so, for example, if the government issues a bond, that means that they want some money and you can buy that bond and lend them that money. So there's an agreed interest rate, an agreed term for that bond, which they will pay during the bond term or at the end of the bond term. So this interest is just called coupons. Corporations can also issue bonds. So once you buy that bond, you can then trade those bonds on the open market, or you can hold on to them. The corporation or the government that issued the bond to you will have to pay the entire amount by the term due date. This is called paying back the face value. 
the date in which it is due is called the maturity date. So these terms are similar to term deposits, I guess, in some respects, but you know, it's not it's not a it's not an equivalent. So, you, so for example, um, you might buy a bond from the government at face value of a thousand dollars with an interest rate of five percent per annum and a maturity date of ten years. So this means you will get paid fifty dollars per year for ten years, and at the end you will get your five thousand dollars back. So bonds are also called fixed income securities because you know exactly how much you will get, which means the borrower also knows how much to pay. You can get bonds with variable interest rates as well, but I won't go into too much detail about that. The third type of um, investment that you could do with your 20% is um, buying commodities, which are basic goods or resources, which can be interchanged for money. So uh, interchange for another asset class, for example. And this is something that countries might do or large corporations might do, but individual investors may not do these sorts of investing regularly unless you really know what you're doing. So for example, a commodity in Australia is iron ore or coal. So you can invest in that, you can buy that, you can buy shares in that. Lithium is another resource that has a lot of interests um, from investors um, because of the explosion in electric cars. Now, I don't invest in commodities per se individually. I just don't know much about them. But, you know, go for your life if you know a lot about commodities. Now, another way to do investment with your 20%, although slightly risky, is buying rare items and collectibles. This is a form of investment. So you would have read about all Bill Gates famously buying the Leonardo DiCaprio, sorry, Leonardo da Vinci, beg your pardon, uh, manuscript called Codex Leicester. He paid $31 million for it. So yeah, if you're into that sort of stuff, then fair enough. But it's simply a high-risk investment, often very expensive to get into, not readily available for the average investor. I know a colleague, for example, who collects teddy bears, and they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teddy bears in their home. And the chances are you might actually you know, have something laying around in the home, which is more valuable than you thought. For those interested in this sort of thing, there is a great TV show called Antiques Roadshow based in the UK. It's a classic show. I love it. But, you know, um, buying rare items or collectibles... Uh, it might be something that um, you're into, um, and that might be part of your diversifying your 20%. Now, the latest craze, really, um, is cryptocurrency. Now, this is something which is coming up more and more. Um, I don't know much about it. It's highly speculative. I don't invest in cryptocurrency myself, uh, which is basically an alternative e-currency. Uh, Bitcoin is probably the most famous version of cryptocurrency, and there are exchanges for trading cryptocurrencies similar to the stock market. I know a few of my colleagues have invested into Bitcoins and have done reasonably well, but essentially my philosophy to investing is not just capital gains. In other words, I don't invest in things just expecting a return in its total worth in the end of the investment period. What I want is an income from that investment. Um, so, you know, does it provo- provide a, uh, a source of cash flow? So I prefer asset classes which provide a free cash flow in the form of dividends or interest, for example. But cryptocurrency is something that's been talked about quite a lot in the media. It's very speculative. It's high risk. Um, and yeah, you know, if you like that sort of risky investment, the returns and the gains can be exponential. But of course, goes with it. The risk is also very high. The other form of investment, which I've already talked about in my first podcast, which is an automated version, is maximising super. Now, this is a little controversial, and I'll tell you why. Because in Australia, employers have to pay super, usually about 9.5% as a minimum, which is going to increase as years go on. Uh, Some employers pay much higher super. 
Employees can also contribute to super, and usually there is um, a maximum $25,000 total capital pre-tax contributions, and this is usually taxed at 15%. So it makes sense to do this, because otherwise if you don't, then the money you earn may be taxed at a higher marginal rate. This all depends on which tax bracket you're on. But, you know, not many people in Australia are on the 15% tax bracket. So in Australia, you can contribute up to $100,000 in after-tax contributions, and anything over this amount is taxed at 47%. So really, you don't really want to contribute more than $100,000 in after-tax contributions to your super unless you're really asking to pay the highest tax bracket in Australia. The reason why this is controversial, though, in terms of contributing to super or maximising it, is because of what's called legislative risk. That is, you don't know what's going to happen in terms of legislation, which may or may not be introduced 30 years from now. Remember, when I'm talking about paying yourself first and putting it in an investment account, I'm talking about investing it for the long term, at least 30 to 40 years. So especially if you're in your 30s, it may mean the rules may change and the taxation may be higher later in life. Now, I guess the counter-argument to this is legislative risk is introduced um, by the government. In other words, legislation is done by the government. So legislation is everywhere. So technically, we're all under legislative risk when it comes to taxation anyway. So in my view, it's always best to maximise your super contributions, irrespective of your age, especially if you're in a very high tax bracket, because this is part of the pay-yourself-first concept and automating it with each pay. It's up to you and up to the individual, though, based on the age and individual circumstances. But I certainly is something that I'm trying to do in my own life, trying to maximise my super contributions as much as possible. Of course, being very careful in terms of not being stinged for those very high tax brackets. Number seven. Now, this brings me to the last one. Now, of course, this is just a summary of all the different types of investments that you can do with your pay yourself 20% concept. Um, but the big one here is the stock market. Australians are the, one of the most active shareholders in the country, oh, sorry, in the world, beg your pardon, largely because many of our super portfolios have Australian and international shares already in them. In fact, I would recommend you log into your super account after this podcast, click on the asset classes you own, and you'll be pleasantly surprised how much of your money is actually invested in the stock market, locally and abroad. It's something that every Australian does, but probably doesn't even know that they're doing it. Now, um, many Aussies probably don't even know that they're doing this. Now, of course, you can actively change that if you like. You can allocate money into your super to your various asset classes based on your preference. But generally speaking, the younger you are, the more risk you can take because the longer time frame you have for investments, so the more share markets you can be invested in. The older you are, the less risk you can take and the more bonds and cash markets you might want to be invested in. It all depends on your risk profile that you wish to accept. Remember I talked about bonds and how you get the interest from them over the period of time? And we talked a little bit about face value and the interest and the term of the bonds. Um, well, buying stocks is very similar. You choose a company, you buy their shares, which means you own part of their business. This is called owning equity in a company. The company may pay dividends, which is kind of like a reward for owning the company, and you get those dividends into your personal savings account or into your share portfolio account. You can then decide on what to do with that money. For example, use the dividend as a saving strategy or reinvest those dividends and buy some of the company's shares. This is called a dividend reinvestment strategy. 
And many Australian companies offer this. In fact, it's actually something very, very common in Australia. Perhaps not as common in other countries, though. But here's the kicker. Not only do you get that, you may also have a raised dividend every year or so. So your income from that share increases over time. Lastly, the price of the share is determined by how well the company performs. So over time, you may find the price of each share in that company actually increase. So in summary, you buy a share, you own a piece of the business, the business may reward you by uh, giving you dividends every year, usually it's every quarter actually in Australia, and after a long time, the price of the share may actually increase. Awesome. Win-win, right? Well, not really. Of course, things could go the other way. You could buy a share, you can own a piece of the business, the business doesn't reward you in the way the dividends for owning it, or don't increase the dividends, and after a very long time, the share price may have tanked or the company may have gone bust. So absolutely, there is a risk to investing in the stock market, just like there's a risk to being inside your office or your home. Nothing in life is risk-free, and it all depends on how much risk you can tolerate. So that's a summary of some of the basic ways you can invest your pay-yourself 20% money, and these mechanisms or tools are called investment vehicles. I'm trying to get used to all this financial jargon, so I apologize if I'm using too much, but it's really important that you understand it, and I find it really fascinating. Now, for me, it's kind of like how a patient must feel if I explain something inadvertently using medical jargon, so I'm trying to break it down as simple as possible. You can choose which asset class you want to invest in, or you can actually spread it across a range of asset classes. So with all the asset classes that I've talked about, with your 20%, maybe you want to spread it across a range of those asset classes. That includes super, bonds, cash, stock market, collectibles, cryptocurrency, etc., etc. It's up to you. There are many, many options. There are advantages and disadvantages to each of them, there are risk profiles associated with each of them, and there are costs associated with each of them. So it's important to look at each of these elements when you consider carefully where to put your hard-earned 20% money, that is, your pay-yourself money. The next concept I want to talk about is a concept called diversification. You may have heard about diversification of your investments, and I've just talked about it. That is, buy a piece of little bit of everything so that the risk is minimized as much as possible. So essentially, you invest in a range of asset classes, and the main reason you do it is because it reduces your overall risk. So for example, if you have a bit of money in property, a bit in shares, a bit in bonds, then when the real estate market goes down, it may be that your share portfolio goes up. And we know your bonds are getting fixed returns anyway. When you think about it, it's kind of having a well-balanced diet. If you keep eating ice cream and you're more likely to end up with nutritional deficiencies, yeah? And you're probably going to have a high sugar level and become unhealthy, even though it tastes great at the time. So you take the risk of eating ice cream every single day, which means it increases your risk of having cardiovascular disease, diabetes, etc., etc., Investing is no different, and it clicked for me when I thought about how similar providing medical advice about health, diet, exercise is to the concept of diversification in investing. So why is it that when I explain to patients about diversified food groups to maintain a healthy diet, most patients understand this and appreciate it, but most people don't think about diversification when it comes to investing? The concepts are very similar, guys, but enough of that. I want to go deeper into the concept of diversification of income streams. Just like you diversify your investments, I think it's really important that you diversify your income. 
I learnt this from one of my colleagues who told me, Raja, I have a day job, and that's being a doctor, but I also have another job. I teach during my spare time. This is really, really important, because if one of your income goes down, recession, job loss, or cut hours, etc., etc., then you have another source which is likely to support you through those times until you get back on your feet. So the net effect is, hopefully, very little negatively for your financial situation. Wait a minute. You say, isn't that what your emergency fund is for? Dave Ramsey talks about a three to six month worth of emergency funds. Susie Orman talks about eight months worth of emerging funds. Of course, that's exactly what it's for. But if you have a diversified income source, then you're far less likely to dip into your emergency funds or you use your income diversity as a strong point to retire early. One of the best ways to diversify your income in your family is for your partners, if you have one, of course, to get a job. Imagine this, right? You earn a wage and your partner earns a wage. You live on one of your wages and save and invest your partner's entire wage. Imagine how powerful this can be if you automate it and make compounding work for you. In my first podcast, I talk about the average Aussie income to be about $4,700 net per month. That's after tax. Suppose your partner earns half of this. <coughs> Peggy, pardon and you earn an average wage. Guys, this is a very conservative calculation, right? So you earn the average wage, and you... (coughs) (coughs) Your pardon, guys. Got a bit of a cold today. You earn an average net income of $4,700, and your partner earns half your wage, which is basically $2,350 per month. And you invest this $2,350 over a diversified portfolio and get a meager... 6% return over your life, say 30 years, it grows to $2.374 million. Imagine if you saved 20% of your own wage on top of this, remember? Okay, say you did this for 40 years, it becomes $4.705 million. That's an additional $2.3 million roughly in the extra 10 years you invest. So if your rate of return becomes 8%, which is really the average return in Australia over the very long term when it comes to stock markets, your overall savings becomes $8.2 million after 40 years. You will be a multi-millionaire during retirement. The math is incredible, and I'm definitely a math geek. So let me summarize that. You earn a net income, which is average, of $4,700 per month, which is what the statistics say in Australia. Your partner earns half of that, $23.50, and you take that money and you put it away and you do it forever with an average return of 8% per year for the next 40 years, you're going to be a multimillionaire. This doesn't take into account super. This doesn't take into account the fact that both of you may have a pay rise over the 40 years. It doesn't take into account that you're taking 20% of your income and putting it away as well. That is very, very powerful. And that is the power of automation. That is the power of diversification when it comes to income and diversification when it comes to investment. You can earn and diversify your income through a second job. In the medical field, it's very common for doctors to have full-time jobs and locum during their annual leave, weekends or after hours. This is something that a lot of us do, and I remember doing this all the time. This helped me buy my first time, pay it off as quickly as possible. So basically, you're using your spare time to make some extra cash. 
This leads to the concept of income per unit time. I started looking into this concept and it literally blew my mind. Basically, you know all those hours you sit around and procrastinate and do nothing? Well, that is a cost to you and that cost is called opportunity cost. You are not earning any income. Your income per unit time during those hours is zero. Of course, you need your me time or relaxation time or family time. We all need that, but it's a trade-off between how much of that you need and how much you can actually use effectively to boost your income per unit time. Even better, imagine if you're working and trading your time for income, which is not a bad deal, but not the best deal, i.e. your biggest wealth creation tool is your income. Imagine earning an income during that time simultaneously via passive means. That is, you go to work, you trade your time for an income, but during those hours, you have passive income coming up all the time. And this could be in the form of an online business that you run on the side, sales, franking dividends, etc., etc. Then it's just a matter of saving that extra income and boosting your income per unit time, and then investing it consistently and using your principles of automation, power of compounding, and doing it forever to become financially secure and independent early in life. So in summary, so far in this podcast, we've covered the various types of asset classes where you can pay yourself first in remembering that we're talking outside of your super and your super money is a bit like icing on the cake. It just grows and grows and grows until you retire. So all of these asset classes are potentially outside of super, except the one about maximizing super. The second point we talked about is diversification of investments but also diversification of income. The concept of maximizing your income per unit time. Those are the three things I've talked about in this podcast. Now, I'm almost finished, but before I finish though, I want to instill another concept about one of the main asset classes I invest in, and that is the stock market. I used to be very afraid to do that, guys, but I do it now without even thinking about it, and I've automated it. I don't pay attention to the noise in the media. I consistently invest I intend to do this forever, I love getting franking dividends, and I always reinvest the dividends back into the stock market, and I don't check my portfolio daily. I got over the fear of investing in the stock market using this analogy and concept. So there is a distinct similarity between buying shares and buying your groceries. Stick with me here, I assure you, it'll be useful. You need to do shopping, right? We all need to do shopping because we all need to eat. We prepare a shopping list, perhaps weekly or fortnightly. We go to the grocery store and we buy these groceries. Well, you need to retire, right? We all need money to retire. We prepare a retirement list or a plan and perhaps weekly or fortnightly, we invest into our retirement fund, i.e. the stock market or whatever fund you have, and we buy shares. See, that's very similar. So when you go through shopping, suppose you really usually buy a specific brand of milk, right? Because you know it's a good brand, a safe brand, and tastes really good, you're then pleasantly surprised that the milk has been discounted by 10 or 20%, or even a two-for-one deal. So what do you do? You buy that milk. In fact, you stock up. You make sure you take advantage of the discounted price. So why is it when the share market goes down, that is, it goes on sale, and certain stocks go down, for example, the big banks or the West Farmers or the Woolies, etc., we all panic. We sell the shares. Shouldn't we be buying more? That's kind of what we do when we go shopping and there's a good brand that's on sale. 
So basically, when we go shopping, we buy more when the price goes down, but in the share market, we sell when it goes down. It doesn't make sense. This is financial behavior, which is insane. Here's another concept for you to think about and using the shopping analogy, stick with me. When you go shopping, usually you go and buy multiple products, various brands, various classes of items, milk, bread, rice, chips, whatever it is, right? So it makes sense when you go share hunting and wanting to buy shares, don't just buy one company stock, buy multiple company stock. In fact, buy the whole stock market. This is what is called an index fund or index investing. This creates much needed diversification. We talked about this before. This reduces your risk overall. So the ASX is basically your Woolies or Coles and you're buying stocks or shares from the ASX. Well, not from the ASX, but it's traded through the ASX. That's like going to Woolies or Coles and buying multiple products across various asset classes or brands. Lastly, one more concept to make you think about which companies to buy or which buy certain companies. So why do we buy certain companies? I think you'll like this one. So what did you do today? You got up, brushed your teeth, had a shower, went to work, had lunch, came back home, had dinner, watched TV, brushed your teeth, and went to bed right now. Remember, all of you, brush your teeth twice, okay? Well, this is not how I saw things. This is what I saw. You got up, probably brushed your teeth using Colgate-branded toothpaste, had a shower and used electricity using resources from an energy company, went to work using car, i.e. a product using fuel, probably Woodside Petroleum, oil or gas company, a court transport owned by a publicly limited company, had lunch, which was made by using ingredients from one of the major grocery retailing companies, Woolies, Coles or Aldi, came back using the same car of fuel, had dinner again using companies that produce products which we consume and use the same electricity company to watch TV and got some sleep. So essentially, you are using all the resources and products produced by and used by the Australian economy. You are doing it right now, which means the majority of Australians are doing the same thing. So why does it not make sense? to invest in the same companies that produce the products and resources we all use every single day? Why are people afraid of the stock market, which is essentially where we can buy pieces of these companies via shares? There you go. I hope this conceptualizes saving, investing, and the stock market specifically. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I've enjoyed making it. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, so my job is to give you basic principles on saving, investing for your retirement. So I suggest you consult a certified financial advisor if you wanted specific advice about your personal circumstances. My podcasts are always about principles of personal finance. Till next time, pay yourself first. Goodbye, and thank you for listening. This is Raja, signing off from Melbourne. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.